Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I want to talk about a something that happened last week in the conservative digital media sphere. Now, I assume a lot of people who follow LifeSite News are probably pretty familiar with the alternative media landscape. And by alternative media, I mean the growing number of outlets online that present a conservative or right-wing perspective on things. Uh, The biggest media empire, which is growing annually, would be the Daily Wire, uh, run by Jeremy Boring and Ben Shapiro and and featuring hosts like Matt Walsh, who's also a a brilliant activist against gender ideology and and produced the documentary What is a Woman? Uh, Catholic commentator Michael Knowles, uh, Candace Owens, Brett Cooper. They have kind of a growing stable of conservative stars, and they're also getting into producing things like documentaries. And then there's uh, the um, man named Steven Crowder. Now, Steven Crowder does something quite a bit different. He got his start on Fox News and making satirical videos on YouTube back when YouTube was still in its infancy. He's 36 years old, and now he runs a a big YouTube show uh, that's also on Rumble called Louder with Crowder. And essentially, he's he's a political commentator, a comedian, a host, and he and a, a series of rotating hosts will sit around and opine on the daily news, and they do that with a comedic bent. And... Just to give you a little bit of a background into Steven Crowder, he was born in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, he was raised in, in Quebec and was actually the voice of, of the brain on the Arthur TV show when he was young. Uh, then he got into doing a bit of stand-up comedy from a conservative perspective. And his star has has risen sharply in the last couple of years. I met him a couple of times more than 10 years ago before he was famous. I met him at CPAC when he was doing, uh, you know, little comedy sketches in between speeches. I think that was back in 2010. I met him again when a friend and I were invited to do uh, a taping in New York City at the Fox News studios of of the Red Eye with Greg Gutfeld. Again, that was before Greg Gutfeld uh, turned into the top-rated late-night host on American TV. And at the time, he was just sort of a run-of-the-mill American conservative commentator, but he really carved out this, this niche for himself doing a combination of both comedy and commentary, uh, really trying to corner a conservative comedy market that hadn't existed. And I'll admit up front before I get into some of my really serious issues with him that he's never been my cup of tea. Um, I'm very hard to offend and I'm, I don't object to off-color humor a lot of the time, but the extent to which his humor would turn into cruelty really bothered me. Uh, the extent to which he would lapse into a incredibly distasteful crudeness uh, really did bother me. And then his sort of slapstick version of humor where he would dress up as a woman and all these sketches to the point where sometimes I think he spent more time in women's clothing than a drag queen just really wasn't something that I found particularly humorous. And to be really honest, he has legions of fans, almost 6 million YouTube followers. So I'm obviously missing something, but I just really didn't find him all that funny. 
Now, I don't actually today intend to talk about the battle that broke out between Stephen Crowder and the Daily Wire earlier this year uh, when Stephen Crowder attacked the Daily Wire for offering him a contract that he thought served the purposes of big tech by asking him to self-censor on YouTube on certain topics. And that, you know, created a sort of a tempest in a teapot in the digital alternative media world. If you follow that sort of thing, you would have been aware of Ben Shapiro and Crowder and Jeremy boring, all firing back and forth at each other. And then more recently, some just very sad revelations about Crowder's personal life that are currently exploding across the internet. I don't really have an opinion on whether or not those personal revelations about Crowder um, need to be debated in public or not, but that's, I want to emphasize, not what I'm here to talk about today. What really bothered me about what Stephen Crowder is doing, and then particularly something that he did last week, is that I believe that a lot of Crowder's comedy actually plays directly into the attitudes of the very people that we're trying to fight. And so Crowder and, and a certain form of right-wing conservative shock jock believes that in order to fight the left, in order to fight the progressives, that we need to be as offensive as possible. And what you see on a lot of right-wing platforms now is this idea that as long as you're anti-woke, that the things that you say don't matter. As long as they're making the right people angry, as long as you're owning the libs, the anger of your opponents is a good enough argument for what you're doing. It's kind of the, you know, the old phrase, if you're taking flack, you're over the target. And sometimes that's certainly true. You know, the issues that I cover on this show and in my uh, in my blog posts and my articles, they'll catch a lot of flack because if you say, very simple things today, like, you know, men are men and women are women and women and men can't become each other or a baby in the womb is a human being from the moment of conception and to kill a baby in the womb is murder or you can't just simply redefine marriage simply because you don't like the traditional Christian understanding of what marriage is. If you say any of these things in today's culture, you will get an enormous amount of backlash regardless of how you say those things. So while I think that being a conservative and being a Christian in today's culture means that you are going to get inevitable backlash, I do think that there are people like Steven Crowder who are taking that to an extreme and saying that if the right people are angry, that means that I'm right and I'm not responsible for actually adhering to standards, conservative standards, Christian standards, you know, standards that uphold goodness, truth, and beauty. And again, I want to emphasize here that I'm not saying that you can't tear down those who are advocating for terrible things. I think that people who are advocating for evil and wicked things can be called out. I think that ridiculous ideas can be justifiably ridiculed, such as gender ideology, such as the idea that a man in a dress can be a woman. Some things are so ridiculous that they earn ridicule by virtue of what that idea is selling. And so when I look at the very, very strong line that Matt Walsh has taken against the, the transgender issue, and that he does because he is righteously outraged by the fact that children are being given, air quotes, sex change surgeries, that little boys are being castrated, that healthy girls are getting mastectomies. I think that his, 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 his wrath, his anger uh, in regards to those things are justified. I think that when he mocks somebody trying to sell these horrifying things to kids, that that mockery is well-placed. And I say all of these things and I make all these provisos because I don't want people to think 
uh, that what I'm saying here is that there's no place uh, for humor as a weapon against things that are absurd. I, I don't think that mocking absurdity is wrong. We always have to be careful with how we do it, but I do think there is a time and a place to do so. I also think that anger is is if properly channeled and if appropriate and directed at the right thing, um, it can be entirely justified and it can be really important for us to show that some things do make us angry. Killing babies in the womb should make us angry. Uh, and, and, and these are, these are things that are difficult to get right. I think anybody in the public space who writes and who podcasts and who debates, um, will make mistakes. We'll cross lines. Sometimes we won't always be our best selves. Sometimes we'll express anger when compassion was warranted. And so I recognize here that there's, there's always nuance. And especially when you're talking about, you know, hosts who are running daily podcasts, when you're talking about commentators who are always on and essentially delivering running commentary and what's going on, that sometimes they're going to get it wrong. And that just, that just is the way it is. But what I really, really want to highlight here is something that Steven Crowder said uh, last week on his show. And some of you may have seen the news that the, the toy company Mattel uh, released a Barbie representing a person with Down syndrome. And this was considered actually a big win by a lot of people. The National Down Syndrome Society lauded the decision because this new toy is, after all, a reminder to the public that people with Down syndrome exist, um, that they are people of real value, that the representation of people with Down syndrome to little children is a valuable educational tool. And a lot of pro-life groups and pro-life people, and this was certainly my reaction thought this is a really, really good thing. Um, because as I'll get to in a moment, um, people with down syndrome are the most vulnerable and the most threatened group in the Western world today. They, they simply are. And as such, it is a, a, a positive development when people with down syndrome are being celebrated in a public way. I don't think that this is a, the, an example of an, a major American corporation sending an overtly anti-abortion message, not quite. And they probably would definitely rebuke the idea that this was intended to be a pro-life message, but considering how many babies with Down syndrome are killed each year by the abortion industry, it might as well be. It sends a very, very positive message. And this brings me to Stephen Crowder, the conservative pundit I was just talking about. So what he did was he actually played a clip from Inside Edition talking about this new doll while he and his frat pack of co-hosts cackled loudly. And they were laughing at both Mattel's decision and they were overtly laughing at children, children with Down syndrome. And just to warn you, the language here is pretty disgusting, uh, and especially the way in which this language was used. Uh, but when a Mattel representative noted on the Inside Edition clip that this doll is breaking barriers, Stephen Crowder, again, Stephen Crowder, claims to be pro-life, claims to be a Christian, responded with, yeah, with retard strength. That was his response to a doll with Down syndrome representing people with Down syndrome. That was his response is he referred to that doll breaking barriers with retard strength, a pejorative directed again at people who are part of the most vulnerable group in the Western world. And it does, in fact, get worse because when a young woman with Down syndrome came on the screen, the hosts actually just responded with more laughter and said, oh, no, oh, no. This is in response to a beautiful young woman, a child, 
with Down syndrome coming on the screen. And their response was, oh no, oh no. And Crowder then joked, this was the joke that he made following that clip, that the next release from Mattel would be, quote, sickle cell Barbie. And he showed a photo of several Barbies with a Planned Parenthood sign in the background. And he ended this segment by joking, and the word joking here is, is, is doing a lot of heavy lifting, that Barbie was now being sold with more retard, end quote. Now, I don't get offended by very much at all. Uh, I've done frontline pro-life activism for more than 10 years. I've been called every name you can possibly imagine. I've gotten plenty of death threats by emails and then plenty of emails detailing all of the horrible things that should make me ashamed of myself. Even when it comes to a sense of humor, I'm not at all offended by off-color jokes, but this is nothing but vile cruelty and a disgusting case of punching down. It's just disgusting. Crowder, who claims to be Christian and pro-life, is not only getting his laughs mocking children with disabilities, but he actually thought that this particular segment of his hour-long daily show was so funny that it should be separately clipped and released to Twitter. Now, Crowder claims to be pro-life, and he's done segments on his pro-life views. One of his very first videos was a video condemning Planned Parenthood, but the attitude he displays towards people with Down syndrome mirrors that of our pro-abortion culture. Because in a society where people with Down syndrome are actually in danger of extinction, to ruthlessly mock a doll that raises awareness of their value as, quote, more retard, is to participate in the collective dehumanization that has brought us to where we are. And just to give you an idea of where we are, because this is something that isn't discussed enough, In 2020, The Atlantic published an essay by Sarah Zhang titled The Last Children of Down Syndrome. And in that article, she explained how universal prenatal screening of pregnancy in Denmark has led to the near total elimination of people with Down syndrome. Like back in 2007, the National Institutes of Health noted that, quote, Denmark has Down's births. And that trend Uh, the article observed, has only escalated. And now, in Denmark, up to 90% of children with Down syndrome are killed before they're born. And what Sarah Zhang says in the essay is, prenatal testing is changing who gets born and who doesn't, and this is just the beginning. Now, it isn't just Denmark. Uh, Depending on which study you read, uh, at least 75% of children diagnosed with Down syndrome before birth in the United States are killed by abortion. Some estimates put it at far higher than that, but it's at least 75%. In the United Kingdom, it's around 90% of children who are diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb are aborted. In Canada, the numbers are similar with the Canadian Down syndrome, get this, actually asking to be placed on the endangered list to draw attention to their plight. And in Iceland, people with Down syndrome have been aborted almost to extinction. And I remember when the news on this story broke, and it was truly disgusting the way it was put. The news articles actually announced that Iceland has almost eliminated Down syndrome. Now, of course, this didn't mean that, you know, Icelandic scientists or doctors had come up with a cure for Down syndrome. What this meant was that they were so effective and so eugenic about identifying children with Down syndrome in the womb and killing them before they were born that there were almost none left. Another really tragic example is Ireland, where, as you may remember, abortion was legalized formally by 
a referendum in 2018 where the Irish public voted to remove the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution, which banned abortion. And one of the things that made Ireland different until very, very recently was that you could see more faces with Down syndrome out and about than anywhere else in the West. And I've been to almost 40 countries. And I remember when I went to Ireland for the first time, I've been to Ireland a couple of times, that it actually struck me that there were so many people that you could just see, you know, out, out on all the city streets, out in a boat, you just noticed more people with Down syndrome. And I realized, it kind of hit me, that the reason for this is because abortion was illegal in Ireland. And as such, people with Down syndrome were not being killed in the womb. People with Down syndrome were instead being born, and they were taking their place in society. And what really struck me about that was because when you grow up in a country where abortion's been legal since before you were born, like I have, like most people in the Western world have, you don't know what abortion has taken until you're confronted by visual evidence of that. And so I didn't realize that in Canada there are hundreds, thousands, probably now tens of thousands of faces Missing from our schools, missing from our streets, missing from public places and large gatherings, that all of the people with Down syndrome who were conceived and did exist in our society were cruelly killed by Canada's abortion regime, and thus we never saw them. But not until I was in a country, in a society, where it had not been permitted to do that, did I realize what the human landscape would look like if those children had not been killed. And it was a really, really striking realization. Well, abortion now has only been legal for a couple of years in Ireland. And now the number of children who have Down syndrome who are being aborted is now approaching 95% in just a couple of years. And it's no more tragic that it's happening in Ireland than anywhere else. But because I saw what Ireland looked like before, just a couple of years ago, in some ways, it's just more heartbreaking because I can almost visualize these children's faces disappearing from the crowd one by one by one. And this attitude is, is very, very prevalent. Like, despite deceitful declarations of opposition to ableism, much of the Western world now has adopted the attitude of the famous atheist and eugenicist Richard Dawkins. You may remember that he was one of the famous atheists who made up a part of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse with Christopher Hitchens and Daniel Dennett and Sam Harris. And in 2014, he was asked by a woman on Twitter um, what somebody should do if they found out that the child they were carrying had Down syndrome. And he actually said that it would be, quote, immoral not to kill a child with Down syndrome in the womb, and that his advice was to, quote, abort it and try again. Think about this for just a minute. The fundamental eugenics, the fundamental dehumanization here that's being perpetrated, you have one of the world's most famous intellectuals, one of the world's most famous intellectuals, responding to a question about what you should do when you find out that a child has Down syndrome, and his advice is to, quote, abort it, abort it, and try again. Abort it. Not abort him, not abort her, abort it. And so when you look at where we are in the Western world, when you realize that in most developed countries, in most countries where prenatal screening is a regular thing to do, almost all children diagnosed with Down syndrome don't actually survive to be born. Most of them are decapitated, 
dismembered and disemboweled in the womb. And no matter how hard people with Down syndrome try and raise awareness about what it is that they go through, they are ignored. There was a case in the United Kingdom recently where uh, a young woman with Down syndrome launched a lawsuit uh, opposing a proviso in the UK's abortion laws that limited abortion uh, to 24 weeks or earlier unless the baby was diagnosed with Down syndrome. If the baby in the womb was diagnosed with Down syndrome in the United Kingdom, then you were allowed to kill it at any time, irrespective of how much pain that child would go through, irrespective of how horrifying the procedure is. And, and to be very clear, this is a procedure where they are literally torn limb from limb and have their skulls crushed by forceps. But if the baby has Down syndrome, then you're allowed to do it. This is lethal discrimination of the worst kind. I remember hearing a young woman with Down syndrome speak at the Canadian March for Life several years ago in Ottawa, and she was moved to tears and moved the rest of us to tears, talking about how our society, which claims not to be ableist, tacitly accepts the wholesale destruction and elimination of people like her because they are people like her. And I, I, I do think that this is something that our society has accepted without even thinking about it, because the champions of abortion regimes really don't actually seem to want to grapple with the fact that their view is that children with Down syndrome are better dead than born. And I want to make a point here is because so often you hear from abortion supporters uh, this really grotesque ideology that I refer to as compassionate eugenics. And this is what somebody does when they don't want to have a child with a disability or to have a child with Down syndrome. And so they pretend that the reason they are opting to abort that child is because it would be in the child's best interest. And you hear this all the time. It's essentially a form of prenatal mercy killing, that the child wouldn't have a very good life, that the reason it's so important that abortion be available in these circumstances is because those children are not going to have the quality of life that an able-bodied person or able-minded person thinks that they should have, and as such, it would just be best if that child not died, would be killed prior to birth. But what most people don't realize or what most people ignore is that all of the studies, all the data we have in which people who have Down syndrome are actually polled about their quality of life, it's over 90% of them say they love their life. Over 90%, almost all people with Down syndrome who were asked how they feel about life, it was almost all of them. Now, that is polling that would not be available for any other group of people. You know, we live, we live in an era where people are more stressed, more depressed, grapple more with mental illness than we ever have before since these, these stats started to be recorded. And yet this group of people talks about being happy. This group of people talks about how much they enjoy their life and love their families and love the things that they get to do. And so the idea that we could claim uh, that our lethal ableism is somehow excused because they would be better off dead is to say that... Everything people with Down syndrome actually tell us, everything they show us, everything they teach us must be ignored. Those who are saying that they should have an abortion because their child has Down syndrome for the good of the child is lying. They are doing it because they don't want to have a child with Down syndrome. It's disgusting. It's ableist. It's eugenicist. That child has a better chance of living a happy life than most other children who do not have Down syndrome based on all the data that we have. And I would add to this, anybody who knows somebody who has Down syndrome, 
will know that they are often the sweetest and the happiest people that you could possibly meet. Everybody will know that the perspective they bring to life, that what they add to our society is fundamentally valuable in a very, very different way. Now, to think of, of, of that, and I, I really don't know what else to call what is happening to people with Down syndrome but a genocide, that it's, it's a group of people that is being targeted for a set of characteristics that define who they are and that they can't help, right? A child doesn't choose to have Down syndrome. Yet, because they have Down syndrome, in almost every Western country, almost all of them are killed in the womb. Almost all of them are killed in the womb. They are killed by the most grotesque measures possible. And it gets easier and easier with every passing year to eliminate these beautiful people. And why? Because we don't see them. Because we don't see their faces in the crowd. And as I saw in, in Ireland, when abortion was still illegal, we don't even know who we're missing. We don't even know what we're missing. We don't even know what kinds of people could be part of our communities and how they could change our lives and make our society richer because we're killing them and we're discarding them like trash. And then a toy company comes out and actually does something good for a change with all of the progressive garbage, all of the gender-bending nonsense, all of these things happening, and you actually have a toy company coming out and creating a doll of somebody with Down syndrome and announce this doll is breaking barriers by introducing children to the sort of person that many of them will never have met. And the sort of person that many of them will never have met because our society throws most of these people away. And the response of Steven Crowder is that these dolls are breaking barriers with, quote, retard strength. The response of Crowder and his hosts sitting in front of their cameras and their microphones to a young woman coming up on the screen, a young woman with Down syndrome is, oh no, oh no, that is exactly the same reaction most parents are having right before they head down to Planned Parenthood. The reaction of Crowder and his fellow alleged comedians is not the reaction of a Christian person. It's not the reaction of a pro-life person. It is the reaction of a Richard Dawkins. It is the reaction of a Planned Parenthood abortionist. It is the reaction of a eugenicist. It is the reaction of an ableist. That, that is the attitude that Stephen Crowder was displaying. And so when he says that the introduction of a doll who has Down syndrome is more retard, he is expressing precisely the attitude that has tens of thousands of parents filing into abortion clinics to get rid of their children. Because Stephen Crowder revealed in this so-called comedy clip that he feels precisely the same way, that he feels precisely the same way. And again, this wasn't a throwaway reaction that was ill thought out, that he later regretted, that he shouldn't have done, maybe he was drunk. No, he did this. Then he specifically clipped that piece out of his hour-long show, and then he uploaded it to Twitter for everybody to see and comment on. That is how funny he thought his jokes, punching down at children with disabilities, were. He was proud of the garbage that he said. Again, as I said earlier on the show, anybody who podcasts daily, anybody who comments on things nonstop, anybody who writes a lot of things, including myself, will get things wrong sometimes. We'll say things that we shouldn't. We'll say things that maybe came out too raw, that lacked the appropriate amount of compassion, maybe even were too crude. 
But after sober second thought, he chose to amplify this particular bit. Now, the antidote to the dehumanization that Crowder so shamefully participated in is to see these people as they are. And it was interesting because I saw that clip while I'm currently rereading Marjorie Kinnon Rawlings' great 1938 American novel, The Yearling, which, you know, growing up, I thought was the story of Jody Baxter, this boy who lives in the woods of Florida and raises an orphan fawn. But going through the book again, I realized that actually the great protagonist of the book is a little boy named Fodderwing Forrester, a neighbor boy who has both physical and mental disabilities. And Fodderwing is is actually the best friend of, of Jody Baxter. And what's so incredible about his portrayal in this book, which I highly recommend to anybody as a mental uh, palate cleanser, is that he's not presented as a less valuable member of the Forrester family, the Baxter's neighbors. The Forrester family is this group of enormous strapping woodsmen who are good at pretty much everything. But Fodderwing's gentleness and his love of animals and his otherworldly wisdom emphasize that his strengths lie in his differences. His parents and his brothers love him fiercely because he is the way he is, not despite it. And, and when Fodderwing dies, uh, Penny Baxter prays at the graveside, and he actually says, and it's a beautiful thing to read, he says that, that Fodderwing was evidence that the Lord knows best. Because if they'd had their way, Fodderwing would have been would have been born with a straight back and a mind, as he put it, that isn't a bit touched. But the Lord knew better, and He made Fodderwing perfectly the way He was—a a boy who had an otherworldly wisdom, who had creatures drawn to Him because of how loving and gentle He was. And then, in other words, the reason Fodderwing was such a beautiful and exceptional boy is because. His disabilities made him different, but not less valuable. And then, in fact, his value came from those differences. And there's a, a really powerful and touching scene where Jody comes to see his friend one last time and finds all the big bearded forester men sitting around the table. And Pa Forrester sweeps his arm around at all his able-bodied sons sitting around the table, grief-stricken, and says, Ain't it queer now? We could have spared any of these fellers. The one we can't spare was the one that was taken." And in that heartbroken phrase from a father who has a table full of strapping sons but lost a little boy with disabilities who showed them so much wisdom, so, showed them so much of the world they might have missed, that, that is how we are to respond to those who have disabilities. That is how we are supposed to see them. We need to see these people for who they are. And the fact that the toy company Mattel the fact that a corporation actually took a step towards helping people see people with disabilities is a good thing. And the fact that Steven Crowder and the frat pack sitting around the table with him relentlessly mocked and dehumanized the people, that is a very, very bad thing. Thanks for listening this week. If you'd like to listen to our past shows or subscribe to future shows, please go to lightsightnews.com, click on the podcast tab, and there you can subscribe to our shows. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.